Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I hope everyone is doing well at home. Uh, You know, this homebound thing and staying at home and social distancing, I know it's taking its toll on us and it's a difficult time and I realize that, but it's for a greater good. You have to kind of think about it in that that context. You know, we want to try and get rid of this uh, virus as quickly as we can so we can move on as society and go back to some of the things that we love, like going to Disney World. So it's a it's an interesting time that we're living through right now. And as I understand it, given the um, the way the uh, Orange County and Osceola County, the two counties that the Walt Disney World Resorts reside in, uh, has, has put a quarantine order in place so people have to stay at home, that will mean that the Walt Disney World Re- Resort will stay closed until at least, at the very least, uh, the middle of April. Um, and probably longer than that. I would expect that maybe it'll be the end of April, just given the way things are going right now, that uh, they're probably not going to reopen much sooner than that. So in the meantime, we'll just have to kind of enjoy kind of living vicariously through our own memories, through the things that we have, YouTube videos, our own uh, you know, sharing of podcasts and information and having a little fun. And to that end, I wanted to talk about more about music that's at Walt Disney World because music is one of the things that's kind of important and relevant to the Walt Disney World Resort and it kind of helps encapsulate everything. It's what makes it so immersive. When you walk onto Main Street uh, in any of the parks around the world, you walk onto Main Street, you feel like you're in a turn-of-the-century turn America. You feel like you're somewhere else. Part of it is by the theming. Part of it is by the architecture. Part of it is by the music because it immerses you in a moment there where you start thinking about things and it feels more like you're uh, actually there. So I always find it kind of interesting. The music along Main Street, it's almost, if you're not, if you just kind of rush down Main Street and it's crowded, you may not even hear it. But having been there so many times and having worked in the Emporium, I heard it every day for that year or so I was there. And it was kind of awesome in a way because it kind of, it kind of gives, a, gives a whole new meaning to it. it. You know, it gets old after a while because you hear the same song, the same song, the same song. It's about an hour-long loop that they play. And after you hear it a bunch of times, you get it in your head, right? I can still hear it in my head regularly and in order. I can hear the, uh, the sequence. It's kind of funny. So when I went to the parks in 2012 or 13 and noticed that the audio had changed, I was like, wow, I know it changed because I remember it. And that's where this is kind of interesting. There's a little story that goes along here. I'm going to play for you the audio from Main Street USA, um, but I want to tell you a little story first. So the story goes that as creating that atmosphere, that immersiveness, that feeling of being there, uh, Walt Disney had this idea to create music as part of the storyline. If you think about the, mu- the movies he was making, particularly the animated movies, you know the, the music played a large part in it. They'd have suspense or adventure or love or whatever it was, whatever that characteristic they were trying to portray on the screen was important to put music that went along with it so that it kind of uh, created the emotional con- connection. And so uh, when he built his theme park, he did the same thing. It was no less than a movie set, right? Now, that's why cast members are on stage and you're considered guests because it's, it's all part of this movie theming. 
So the music plays an important part. So when Disneyland opened in 1955, they created music that created the atmosphere for uh, the park and uh, for Main Street especially. And so they had that music running for, uh, I guess it was a little over 20 years, uh, or right around 20 years, because when the Walt Disney World Resort opened, they were using the same audio track that Disneyland used. And then at about 1972 or something, they changed the musical track. They created a new one. And uh, it was a bunch of uh, Disney musicians, people who were in-house musicians for the Walt Disney Company, who created sort of a a turn-of-the-century sort of uh, set of music that played there. Some of it was ragtime, some of it was some other stuff, but they created this, this sort of musical uh, set that made, the, made it come to life. And that set stayed there until about 1989. So uh, both the parks, Disneyland and Disney World, were playing the same music. And in 1989, they decided to update the music. And here's where things get a little interesting. So Disney had their in-house, in-house orchestra that was creating this music. But along the way, there was this guy whose name was uh, Rick Benjamin. And uh, Rick Benjamin uh, was an interesting guy. He was, he was going to the Juilliard School of Music in New York. And this guy was learning classical music, and he was learning all these different things to, uh, to understand how music works. There's a, the whole music theory and understanding classical music, and it's really kind of appreciating music for what it is. It sets a tone, right? It sets a mood. That's the whole thing. So along the way, he became interested in ragtime music. He encountered it somewhere in his studies, and he was like, ragtime music is really fascinating because it it compiles some elements of some of the classical things. It has some sort of jazzy elements to it too, but it really is something different. If you think about the era of, let's say, the 1930s or so, when you had this sort of bandish sound, you had the big bands, you had the the, the, the ragtime bands, you had these different things that played, these different styles of music that played that captured... Uh, the, the hearts of people and were different and were more upbeat than just clap, classical music. So they were a little interesting and different. So when it came time for him to graduate from Juilliard, one of the things you have to do is uh, create a, uh, put on a concert of your music, your own compositions. So he decided he was going to do it based on ragtime music because he realized that ragtime music was sort of a lost art and there were people who didn't know what ragtime music was at that point. It was 1985 or so and people didn't know what it was and he wanted to make sure that it stayed in the lexicon and people remembered what ragtime was. So he came up with this idea, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put ragtime music out there and I'm going to make it something interesting. And he wanted to do his concert on that and the dean of the school said, no way, we're a classical music institution, you can't do that. So he gamed the system to a degree and actually wound up putting on a ragtime show uh, unbeknownst to the dean of the music school, and he got in trouble for it, of course, because it didn't follow the rules. But on the other hand, it put him on the map. It made him interesting because someone saw a bunch of people saw it. He invited the public to come and see it, and people saw it and they go, "Wow, this is phenomenal! It's something really different." He put together some musical scores that no one had heard in basically fifty years, and it was just an amazing thing that he was able to do. So after he left the Juilliard School, he founded something called the Paragon Ragtime Orchestra. And this orchestra is an ensemble orchestra that, he's, that he conducts and he composes music for that uh, actually plays ragtime music. So somewhere along the way, uh, the Walt Disney Company heard about him. And they were like, we're fascinated by what you're doing. And they asked him to come and play some of the music that they were preparing for Main Street. So he actually composed the music based on original tunes, so they're tunes that are familiar, but he composed most of the songs that you heard along Main Street from 1989 until they changed it in 2012. Now, since 2012, some of the music is still there. It's been rearranged a little bit, and it's re-recorded. Uh, it's very similar tunes, to some of them anyway. But in that hour-long loop from 1989 to 2012, 
it was primarily the Paragram Ragtime Orchestra. I think there's four songs, I want to say, maybe, that are uh, from the Disneyland Forever uh, group that are in a similar style. But the rest of it is all the Paragon Ragtime Orchestra. And it's just amazing the way he created this atmosphere at the Walt Disney World Resort that better captures the imagination and kind of fits into what they were thinking as far as Main Street goes. So when you hear this music, uh, it's all... It's mostly the Paragon Ragtime Orchestra. Now, I'm going to put a link in my show notes page that has the listing of all the music and who actually performs it, so you can kind of keep track of it that way. So if you want to go check it out, you can figure out who it is. But it's really kind of neat that he took the time and the effort to put this together and became the expert in the field. And uh, now he's, he's world-known as the Paragon Ragtime guy, right? He does ragtime music. And it's amazing what he was able to do and accomplish in his life just by deciding that he was going to do something different and hold on to a musical style. And the Walt Disney Company really looked favorably on that and contracted him to do some of the music for the parks. So when you walk along Main Street, some of the music you'll hear in that ragtime style is his. And it's just kind of neat that way. So it's kind of interesting. And uh, I want to play for you the Main Street background music sounds from 1989 to 2012. It's about an hour long, but maybe it'll transport you for a little while as though you're walking along Main Street and you can just kind of relax and enjoy while you're sitting at home and basically doing nothing. What better thing do you have to do for the next hour? So enjoy.
And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we keep dreaming about a better tomorrow, we can ultimately get there. So if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. 
Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 